Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And this will be the last time for a few weeks you hear me say, turn to Ephesians. We are, uh, I was determined to get through the first three chapters. As I said before, Ephesians uh, falls into two major sections. The first three chapters are heavily theological. And uh, the last three chapters are heavily practical. Uh, chapter 4 will begin with the word, therefore. And that means based on everything that he said theologically in the first three chapters. What does that mean for how we live our lives every day? So it's a good place to take a little Christmas break in our study of Ephesians. That's what we're going to do. We're going to finish up Ephesians 3 this morning. And then we will focus upon the birth of Christ for the next three Sundays. And resume our study in Ephesians after the first of the year. We're in verses 20 and 21 this morning of chapter 3. Closing verses of this great section of God's Word. It says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's the word of God. Thank you so much for your word. and We thank you for another time together, your people, to read it, ponder it, study it. We know that this is an important part of our worship each Lord today, where we come face to face with your word and your voice as it speaks to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would take this part of your word, just these two verses, show us great things about you and about Christ and about our relationship with you through him and the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have here at the end of uh, chapter 3 is a doxology, what I'm calling in my title of my message, a beautiful doxology. You know, a doxology is simply an expression of praise to God. We sing a song. It's called the doxology, don't we? If you were here and attentive, you'll notice that the doxology was sung here the last two Sundays in worship at the joint Thanksgiving service we had, and then last Lord's Day during morning worship. It's a simple expression of praise to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's a, it's a doxology that, that we have here in our two verses this morning. It's an expression of praise to God. And what an appropriate conclusion, isn't it? To all that we've seen in the first three chapters of this great book of the Bible. First three chapters, again, are just full of rich spiritual truths. Just, just reflect again for just a few moments about what we've already seen. So far, Paul has said that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That he predestined us 
to adoption as sons. That in Christ, and in Christ alone, we have the forgiveness of our sins. That God works all things after the counsel of His will. That we've been sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. That God made us alive in Christ even though we were spiritually dead. That we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone. That God has expanded the scope of salvation beyond the Jews to include the Gentiles. You know what that means? That means it includes us as well. That He's called us to be citizens of His kingdom, members of His family, and participants in His church. That because of God's eternal purpose, we have boldness in our relationship with Him and confident access to Him. Well, after all that, you almost want to say, Ooh, that's amazing. Isn't that wonderful? And that really is what Paul is saying here in these two verses. In his own way, in this form of a doxology, just giving praise to God for all that has transpired and all that he has already taught. Summing it up in this great doxology. There are three things that I want to point out from this text that, for which Paul gives praise to God. Three things. First, he expresses praise for what God can do. He expresses praise to God for what God can do. Verse 20 contains a very simple and yet profound statement. It says that God is able. This expression of praise is given in verse 20 to him who is able. Now don't pass over that too quickly. God is able. And he is able to do whatever it is you ask. Now, that little phrase, God is able, speaks volumes to me because I know what it is to be unable. I know what it is not to be able to do certain things. If I have a flat tire, I'm not able to change it. If my lawnmower doesn't start, I'm not able to fix it. If I order something or buy something that needs to be put together, I'm usually not able to do that. You know what? That diminishes the confidence of my wife or someone else who might come to me and ask me to do something for them. Let that hang in your mind just a moment and reflect upon what Paul says here. God is able. And because He is able, you can come to Him with great confidence in prayer because you know, you know He is able to do whatever it is that you ask of Him. Now, it's not without significance, I think, that Paul makes this statement and gives this doxology right after telling the Ephesians about how he is praying for them. That's what we find in the, in the verses right before. We looked at it two weeks ago in our study of Ephesians. And, and Paul told them then 
that he was praying some big things for them. He was praying for them that they would know the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That they would know the indwelling of Christ in their hearts. That they would comprehend the, the vast extent of God's grace. And that they would literally be filled up, he prayed. Filled up to all the fullness of God. And it would be very easy for the Ephesians or for you and me to come away from that prayer saying, What? All that? All that? It's supposed to happen to me? I'm to experience those kinds of things? And Paul is saying, yes. And the reason you can experience it is because God is able. And He's able to make that a reality in your life. Able to make it come to pass in you. And so it's those Paul is saying, don't doubt that this can be true. God is able. And He can make it happen. Now look at what Paul says further here in verse 20. He says, This expression of praise is given to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. God is able to do. He's able to do what he is designed to do, what his providence has intended to do, what his plan accomplishes to do. When, when Paul says God is able, that's exactly what it means. He's just that. He is able to do what you ask. But notice in the text, it's not just what you ask. It's more than you ask. In fact, he says it in kind of a superlative way. He's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that you ask. Here, here's your level of asking. Way up here somewhere, far abundantly beyond. That's what God is able to do. But there's more there. He says he's able to do far more abundantly all that we ask, and stop there, or think. God is able to do even more than you can think to ask of him. Perhaps sometimes you've prayed and there's something you've thought of that you would like to pray for, but you're kind of ashamed to pray for it, embarrassed to pray for it, and you don't pray for it. Well, you ought not to be. There are no limits to God's goodness. There's no limits to God's bounty. You pray for something in His will, He's going to do it. And what He can do is far beyond, abundantly beyond Anything that you could ever ask for or expect. Anything that you could ask for or even think to ask. It sure seems to me that Paul's saying we ought to ask big things from God because we've got a big God. Sometimes my prayers are limited because of my view of things. Of my view of things that are not possible. Sometimes my perspective is so skewed because I see things kind of with blinders on. And I don't believe what the Bible says, that nothing is impossible with God. That's what the Bible says. Nothing is impossible with God. 
And I forget what my sermon's about this morning. That God is able to do far abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. So the first thing is Paul expresses praise to God for what God can do. Second, he expresses praise for what God does or really how God does it. You see, not only only is there this sense that God can do far more than we can imagine, we also find in this text a sense of what God does in our lives or how he does it. He does all these things into verse 20 according to the power that works within us. There's that word power again. Remember back in uh, verse 16, Paul had prayed that he would grant the Ephesians according to the riches of his own of his glory, they would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. I, I said then that we Presbyterians sometimes get real skittish when people start talking about spiritual power. In fact, sometimes we just run in the opposite direction from it. You know, in some parts of the church, this whole idea of spiritual power has been so abused that we don't want any part of it. We think... That's not for us. But we do ourselves a disservice when we do that. Look, spiritual power is real. The Bible talks about the power that we have in Christ, the power that we receive from the Holy Spirit. And the power of Christ is to be a part of our daily experience as we live out the Christian life. God doesn't want us to live defeated and discouraged life. He doesn't want us to live that way. Now, I'm guilty of that as much as you are. Maybe I'm guilty of that more than you are. It's easy, isn't it, to become discouraged. Easy to become despondent. Easy to feel weakened and broken. But God wants us to rely upon Him and His powers. We're going to see in just a little bit according to the power, he says, that works within us. You know, power is the opposite of weakness. And the Bible teaches us that it's about the power or the strength of the Holy Spirit that we're able to overcome the weakness that all of us, from time to time, feel. I want you to look with me, if you have your Bibles, just, we're going to just look at a couple of phrases and verses, but I want you to see them with me. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to John 14. In verse 16, this is when Jesus was promising to send the Holy Spirit. And he said this, verse 16, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to go to Romans chapter 8. We love to turn to Romans 8, 28, but I want you to stop at verse 26. Romans 8 and verse 26 says this. In the same way... The Spirit also helps our weakness. 
Isn't that interesting? Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you somebody to help you. And Paul says, the spirit whom Jesus sent helps us. There it is. He helps us, does exactly what Jesus said he would do. And he says, he helps us in our weakness. Now, the weakness that Paul is talking about in Romans 8, 26 is our weakness in prayer. The Holy Spirit helps us when we don't feel like we know how to pray. But, but it doesn't, isn't limited to that. The Holy Spirit helps us in every area of our life. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And he comes alongside us when we're weak, when we feel weak, to give us the strength to do what we otherwise don't think that we can do. I want you to go to one more text with me, and that's the 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talked about his own weakness. And, and that weakness for Paul manifests itself in one particular way. It, it's what he called his thorn in the flesh. Now, we're not sure what that was. We, we think that it was some kind of physical ailment. Most of us think that it was some kind of ailment with his eye, but we're not sure. But it, but it was a defect. It was a, it was a problem. It, it made Paul feel weak. If you look at verse 8 of chapter 12, he says, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me. He prayed three times that Paul would take that ailment, that thorn in the flesh away. But God chose not to do that. You see, God had a purpose in that thorn in the flesh. It was designed to make Paul feel weak. And to show him his weakness. It was designed to teach Paul not to rely on himself, but to trust in God's strength and power. Look at verse 9. And he that is God has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power, literally my power, is perfected in weakness. Do you see it? God's power is shown most clearly in your time of weakness. And Paul learned that lesson because look at what he says further in verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And then he goes on to say at the end of verse 10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the power. That's the power that works within us that Paul refers to in our text this morning. It is the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ. It's the power of God that makes us feel strong even when we are weak and powerless. And isn't that the message of Christmas? How did salvation come? Salvation initially came. The gift of God initially came through a baby. It was born to a young maiden. A tiny infant 
was laid in a manger. A mere child for whom there was no room in the inn. You talk about weakness. Nothing more weak, nothing more helpless than an infant. And yet the gospel, the very power of God unto salvation, entered the world that way. Remember what the angels said to the shepherds the night Jesus was born? Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. What? A Savior. A Savior is born. He's Christ the Lord. Then the angel went on to say, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby. You'll find a baby. Wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. The power of the gospel was shown through the weakness of a baby. And the power of God is shown in our weakness as well. Then there's a third thing for which Paul expresses praise here. And it is for what God receives. Now, we're in a Presbyterian church. It ought not to be any surprise to you that what God receives is glory. First question and answer in our shorter catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We're to be all about giving God glory. Talking to someone earlier this week, and you know, Paul says, in whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever it is, you're to give glory to God. That's a good way to determine whether you ought to do something or not, isn't it? Whether you ought to say something or not. Stop and ask yourself, will this, will this bring glory to God? Will, the, will this glorify Him? Well, that's what Paul gives thanks for in verse 21. That God, through all this, receives glory. You see it all fits together? In our times of weakness, when you feel weak, God gives you the strength and the power to do what you need to do. And for that, guess what? God receives the glory and the praise. Normally, we tend to think the opposite is true, don't we? Normally, we tend to think that it's when we show, you know, some real inner strength and fortitude. When we suck it up and we, we take it like a man. When we gut it out and by our own determination make it through something, we think, you know, that, that really gives glory to God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says God receives glory and we realize, you know, I can't do this. I can't do it. But through Christ, I can do all things. And I'm going to trust God in this. And he's going to get me through this. That's when God receives the glory. He really receives glory when we realize that we're inadequate, but he's adequate. We, he receives glory when we, say, we realize that we're weak, but he's strong. He receives glory when we understand, you know, I, I just can't do this by myself. 
And yet we know we can do it by His power. Now notice two other things before we conclude, really three brief things. One is, this glory is to be given to God in the church. Or in God's people who make up the church. Again, as I said a moment ago, as the people of God, folks, the one thing that ought to be foremost on our minds in our, in our daily lives, in our life as a church, in our worship, in our service, whatever it is we do, it ought to be to give glory to God. And there's sometimes when God causes churches to feel weak. So guess what? They rely upon Him and His strength so that when He blesses, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Same way in your life. Sometimes God makes you feel weak. So all you can do is rely and trust upon Him. So when you come through that experience, guess who gets the glory? God gets it. Then he goes on to say, it is to be given in the church and in Christ Jesus. You know, we talked about how His power comes through the Holy Spirit. This power in us is the power of the Holy Spirit, this helper that Christ sent. And when Jesus talked about sending the Holy Spirit, He said this about the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. Even the Holy Spirit's purpose is to glorify Christ. And you see, when we go through difficulties, when we experience weakness and God gives us a strength, our purpose as the Holy Spirit empowers us is to do it in the name of Jesus. So he receives glory and praise. And the last thing is to be an ongoing thing. To all generations, he says, forever and ever. One generation after another is to give praise to God. We've got at least three generations of a kind. There may be four generations here in this church, right here this morning. The oldest of us generations is going to pass on within a number of years, leaving the next generation to be the leaders of the church. The next generation coming behind them. The next generation coming behind them. Generation after generation is to give glory and praise to God. You see, we're just in a long line, folks, of people who have lived that way and done that thing. Abraham did it. You know, when Abraham was at his weakest moment, wanted more than anything to have a son. He's an old man. Married to a wife who was way beyond able to have children. God came to him in his time of weakness and guess what? He had a son. And for that, Abraham gave God the glory. Moses did it. You know, Moses felt weak and inadequate for the task to which God had called him. But God gave Moses the power and the strength to do what he did not think he could do. And for that, guess what? Moses gave God the glory. David did it, didn't he? David went out to face the giant, Goliath. There came Goliath, dressed to the hilt in his armor, 
his weapons in his hands and out strolled David dressed simply in the same clothes he wore to shepherd the sheep holding in his hands just a slingshot and five smooth stones. you talk about feeling weak yeah God gave David the strength to slay the giant for that David gave God the glory Isaiah had it Isaiah received a, a call from God that was hard and difficult. Tell bad news to bad people. And Isaiah felt weak and inadequate. And so God gave Isaiah this vision of himself on the throne. He saw God in all his glory. And that was in Isaiah's moment of weakness. And that vision gave him so when the vision was over, Isaiah said to God, Here I am. Send me. Folks, we all go through times of weakness, don't we? There are all times, all, there are times in all of our lives where we face things we think, I just can't do that. And the reality is you probably can't. But with the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit, you can. Thank God, especially this Christmas season, that we have a big God who promises to do big things for his people. And for that, let's give him all the glory. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is so rich. We love it. We thank you for what we've learned already from the book of Ephesians. These great spiritual truths that point us to the fact that you really are a God who is in control of all of life. Because you have ordained us to be your children. You've forgiven us of our sins, sealed us in Christ and the Holy Spirit, saved us by grace, included us in the plan of salvation, brought us into your family, into your kingdom, into your church, given us bold access to your throne. You give us strength when we're weak. For that, oh God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.